Let's open the Scriptures to the <clears throat> letter of Paul to the Philippians. Philippians 1, the first 18 verses. There we read, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ." filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus, Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. I invite you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. I'd like to focus on a verse or two in the second chapter, particularly verse 18, but in its context. So let's read the verses 14 through 18. Verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you, with you all. Here's our text. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. That's as far as our text goes. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the striking things about the letter to the Philippian, 
Philippians is its message of joy. Already in chapter 1, which we read part of, Paul writes of his joy on account of the fact that the Philippians were his partners in the gospel. Then he talks about rejoicing even though he's in chains, because Paul writes this letter while he's in prison. He rejoices because though he's in chains, the gospel is not in chains. But everywhere, he says, Christ is preached. Later on, he speaks of his joy being made complete by the united mindset of the Philippian believers together with himself. And now in our text, chapter 2, he not only expresses his own gladness with that of the Philippians, but he gives a command, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So, there's no getting around it. Christians are called to rejoice. But the question is, how? What does it mean to be filled with joy? We've all gathered together here as church this morning, as we do every week, each of us with our own circumstances, our own struggles. We've already heard of death. It's certainly a joy, on the other hand, to be here to witness the public profession of faith of Hossein and Maryam and Amin. But the reason they are living here in Canada is because they could not live in Iran for fear of arrest. And when they lived in Turkey, they lived under threat of deportation back to Iran and all of that simply because they confess Christ as Lord. Could this family rejoice when they were in those circumstances? Many of us, the rest of us, have had our good times in our lives and we've been able to laugh and enjoy things, but who can keep that up every day again? Gladness, it it arises spontaneously in our hearts when there's reason for uh, happiness, like falling in love or getting engaged or having children, landing a new job, being successful at work, maybe getting a raise or receiving a gift. All of that just makes us feel happy. But the happy doesn't last all that long, does it? so quickly that euphoria passes and the realities of life set in and they are a lot harder to get past painful realities of of sin in our very own hearts or sickness in our bodies, hardship or loneliness, sadness, loss, regret, weariness with all the striving that we do. These or some combination of them can be burdens on our heart. How is it then at at those times that we can be filled with joy when our hearts are so heavy, when life hurts, even when there's danger pressing? Well, we find our answer here at this meal, the meal of joy, the supper of Christ. I proclaim to you this word of God, taste 
Christ's joy in his supper. Taste Christ's joy in his supper. We'll see that it provides a reminder and a replenisher of that joy. So this joy that Paul speaks of in his letter, it's no plastic joy where Christians just just sort of put on or paste on a smile no matter what the circumstances, fake it till you make it, some say. With that line of thinking, some Someone might ask you, well, how are things going? And then you always respond with a smile, and you always say something like, oh, it's fine. It's just fine. It's all good. Meanwhile, it's not fine. Life has torn a strip off you. That is not the kind of joy at all that Paul is talking about. Being joyful Christians does not mean denying the difficulties of life. It does not mean pretending to be happy. It does not mean thinking about your suffering that it's a good thing in and of itself, that we have to somehow meet our suffering with laughter. No. Only a few verses later in Philippians 2, Paul says this, verse 27, he's talking about his friend Epaphroditus. Indeed, he, the friend, was ill near death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also. Here it comes, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul didn't have a permagrin. He knew times of sorrow upon sorrow. It's okay to weep and mourn when you have losses, when you have hardships. And in our text, Paul envisions circumstances that are indeed hard. Verse 17, right before our text, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Paul is using very familiar imagery of sacrifice to describe both the service of the Philippians and his own service. Earlier in the letter, he described how the Philippians themselves were being persecuted for their faith. That was something, he says, the Lord had given them. It's back in chapter 1. It was a gift to them to suffer. And then now Paul says that he himself, while he's in prison, he may well be put to death. That's what he talks about, what he means when he says, I might be a drink offering. I might die, even if I die. Like a, like, I'll be like a drink offering poured out on your offering. I'll be like a crown on your suffering. So Paul is very aware that he could be put to death. He's aware that that would bring the Philippian believers sorrow upon sorrow, and yet even then he finds reason to rejoice, and he says to them, you too be joyful. Even if I die, you find opportunity for joy. Well, we want to ask, why? How? How can joy be commanded when your heart is aching with pain? Because the joy that Paul is talking about, it comes from another place, another source altogether. The joy that he's speaking about does not arise from our circumstances. 
Christian joy does not depend on everything going well in our lives. That's not where it comes from. It comes from, it depends upon our connection to Christ, our union with the Lord Jesus, on the reality that as believers, as Paul says many times elsewhere, we are in Christ. Paul is not commanding us to find joy in the suffering itself. Later in the letter, chapter 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. We rejoice in the Lord, in Christ. If we had to find joy in the suffering, we would never pray for relief from suffering. We'd also never look forward to a final a time when finally suffering will be rid of will be rid of suffering in this world when it comes to the next life. No, we do look forward to the day when there will be no more tears. And our joy is found in the very fact that Christ is making that day come. Our joy is found in the irreversible work of Christ Jesus who died, who rose to life again to save us from all our sins, so that no matter what happens around us in this world, in our personal lives, in, in circumstances outside of our control, no matter what things are like, what never changes and never could change is that you and I belong body and soul to the Lord Jesus Christ. And He has set us free from the power of the devil. And He has given us peace and everlasting life with our Father in heaven. That's unchangeable. So in, in our very worst day, and, and there's been a lot of bad days lately, in the biggest disaster or suffering or anguish of our life, that fact never changes and that is where the joy springs from. Something we are shown so beautifully and powerfully here in the Lord's Supper. We confess in the form that at His table we receive a foretaste of the abundant joy which Christ has promised us. Abundant joy. So we get a taste of it here. Around this table, our, our minds are directed again to what Christ did for us on Golgotha. We are reminded to take it for ourselves very personally. When we take the bread and take in the wine, He shed His precious blood for me. He gave up His body on the cross for me too. He humiliated Himself like a common criminal for all the world to see so that I could be honored as a child in the Heavenly Father's family, though I myself have done nothing to deserve that. That's what makes this table, as Psalm 63 says, a lavish feast. The Lord has sent a lavish feast. It might only be one piece of bread and a sip of wine, but the spiritual nourishment is lavish. There's no other table in the world where we get this kind of meal. There's no other table in the world that shows the solution to sin. No, at no other table do we see the Savior's work. At no other table do we find power that overcomes death. 
here and only here we get a glimpse, we get a foretaste of the glorious finished redemption that awaits all Christians when the Lord Jesus comes back. So come, brothers and sisters, come and taste the joy of Christ here in His Supper. Come and be reminded of it and also be replenished in it because there's more going on here than a, a reminder. We don't just look at the symbols. We don't only remember and think about what the Lord Jesus did, all important, all necessary, all valuable. But there's something more. The meal is hosted not by a man or men, but by the Lord Jesus Himself. Christ is with us in this assembly. It's His supper. He holds it out to us. He invites us to come. He does that through the presence of His Spirit. And the Spirit is working. The Spirit is active even as we participate in it. What's He doing? He unites us more tightly to the Lord Jesus. Sometimes we forget that there is this this bond between Christ and us. Christ is in heaven. We believers are on earth. But the person of the Holy Spirit is like a bridge connecting us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that connection is strengthened. That bond with Christ is strengthened with every sermon we hear, but also in every celebration of the Lord's Supper. There's something special that takes place at this table. Nothing magical. No hocus-pocus, but according to God's own promise, when we eat the bread, when we drink of the cup, we are united more and more to our Lord, to the sacred body of Christ through the working of the Spirit. Just as when we take in the preaching, so when we take in the elements of the supper, the Holy Spirit, He goes to work and refreshes our often faltering spirits. He strengthens our weak hearts he fills our souls with the peace of Christ and with the joy of belonging to Christ today and forever. He makes those things happen in our hearts. Even, and maybe especially when, we're feeling hurt, damaged, We Christians are often like those boys you see on the water, you know, those markers on the waterways. They float there, right, 24-7. <clears throat> but every now and again, when the storms come and the waves mount up, they crash over these boys, these markers. And for a time, the markers, they get pulled under. They get sucked below the waterline. That's how some of us are feeling right now. Hit recently by unexpected grief, loss, tragedy. Death has come near to some of us, and with it comes waves of sorrow. We feel like that boy below the water. But sooner or later, every boy, 
pops up again. And that's how it works with us Christians. The Holy Spirit, He, he makes us pop up again in joy. The Spirit bonds us to our Savior, fills us with friendship, the Savior's friendship and love. He causes us to experience the nearness of Christ, the fellowship of Christ. So there's something in mental going on, a, a reminder of our treasure in Christ, of the atonement He has purchased for us, and the fact that that act can never be undone or made of no effect. But there's also this experience He gives us. In the preaching and in the Lord's Supper, again and again, the Spirit teaches us the facts and communicates the feelings. What feelings? You should feel relief. You should feel comfort. You should feel joy. You should feel the presence of your Savior. And that is what causes you to bob on the surface again with gladness of heart. So, brothers and sisters, you, you can be very real with each other in your greetings and interchanges, your how are you, how you doing, and be real with your God in all your troubles. There's no need for the, the fake answers, the fake smiles. If somebody asks how you're doing, just tell them. How am I doing? Actually, I'm not doing very well. I feel very poorly. I feel down. But I do know what Christ has done for me, and I'm hanging on to that. My heart is hurting, but I do know my Savior will bring peace, the peace that passes all understanding. And, and that in itself is already a comfort, but I, overall I'm not doing so good. Can you pray for me? Would you do that? Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Join me in that prayer. We can talk that way with each other. You can be real. We can be real because our God is very real. He's provided real relief and real comfort here in the death and resurrection of His only Son. And so our joy is real. It's, it's, it doesn't ever have to be pasted or pretended. There are times for tears. There is a time to feel low. But then you bob to the surface again. Christ Jesus has done everything to overcome the source of all those sorrows and pains and to exchange it for joy. And you belong to Jesus Christ. You are in Christ. So His joy is your joy. Come then and taste it with me in the supper. Amen.